Welcome back, perfect peeps, to perfect.dev. Today we're talking all about the coding interview and transitioning in tech. With us, we have Lori. I promised Brittany that she was able to do Lori's full intro, so hit it. Hey, Lori. Welcome. So glad to have you. A little bit about Lori. Lori is a senior software engineer at Netflix, but she got her start as a mathematician. She does lots of content creation from courses on Egghead to blog posts and podcasts. In her free time, you may find her building her latest Lego masterpiece or playing with her dog, Avid. I wanted to have Lori on today because she is seriously one of the most hilarious people I've ever heard on every podcast I listen to her on. So I'm always laughing. And then two, she's just incredibly motivating for women in tech. So we wanted to have her on, talk a little bit about her latest transition and how the coding interview process went for her. So welcome. Thank you. You make me sound awesome. So I appreciate it. You are awesome. (laughs) And if you you can't tell, Lori kind of likes Legos. Okay. First of all, it's Lego. Oh. Oh, yeah. No plurals. It's Lego sets and Lego bricks, but... Lego is the actual brand name, and you never add an S to the end of it. That's true. I correct people all the time for Meyer around here. They, they always say, what's go to Meyers? I'm like, That's no. That's a big thing. <laughs> that Thank was like trending on Twitter like a few weeks ago. Really? That's funny. <laughs> but anyways, Lori, how did you get your start? What did your a little bit about your background? Oh, goodness. Um that's the world's longest story. <laughs> um, so I went to college with the assumption that I was going to graduate and go be a lawyer because both of my parents were attorneys and I guess you do what you know. Yeah. Um, and I like to talk. And so I figured if I like to talk, I like to argue and, you know, that made sense. Um, but I always really liked math. So I decided to get a major in mathematics as well as a major in political science, kind of like dual majors. Um, and while I was at school, I was working for the Center for Opinion Research, which is a polling group organization that existed on my college campus, but it was like a globally recognized, they did in like presidential polls and and all sorts of things. Um, And my boss there, I was intern, I'd been interning there during the year and then I was interning for the summer and she was like, you need, I've had to teach myself all this code stuff and I'm not going to let you graduate college without learning some of it. And I was like, why? Um, (laughs) But she made me take CS 101. And then I took CS 102. And then I ended up with a minor in CS. And then my first role or my like junior and senior internships were for federal government agencies, but on their web teams. And then I was like managing technical projects. But I was like, no, I sort of want to go build them. Like, I don't want to sit here and tell them what to do. I want to do it. Yeah. Um, And then I became a developer. So that's like the very like quick version of it. So it kind you kind of just fell into it, sort of. Yeah, definitely. Um, this was not the plan. <laughs> Far from it. I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be like clerking for a federal court judge right about now. So, <laughs> but th- but that's just weird. How like life kind of drew you to it, and you're like, I really enjoy this stuff. So maybe I want to do this for a job. Yeah, it's very strange. Like nobody told me that I could make jigsaw puzzles a career. <laughs> um, I wish they would have told me that would have saved me a lot of time. I was like, great. I cool. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. So what was your first like real tech job? What were you doing in that job? Mm, so 
Um, that's sort of a complicated question because I think my first real like tech jobs were internships. Um, okay. But if we're going to take my first like full-time role, I was a back-end Java developer, but they brought me on board as a full-stack engineer. And um, so I was dealing with struts, which is... Uh, many people like have never heard of this because it's sort of old school, but it's more templating than anything. And then there were like JavaScript script tags in the front end. But for the most part, it was like very minimal um, view layer on top of a Java project. Um, and then that migrated into Angular 1 and like TypeScript 1. So really early days, bleeding edge. I'm pretty sure one of the senior devs at my company had like, forked the early version of TypeScript and added some of his own stuff to it <laughs> to like make it do some code gen stuff that is now all of these libraries do it for you, but it didn't oh, exist wow. at the time. So there, there were lots of really weird things there. Um, but yeah, a Angular Struts was first, but in terms of like modern stuff, uh, Angular 1 and well, there's a whole debate about whether that's modern because <laughs> Angular diverges after Angular 1, but Angular 1 um, and, and Java backend. And honestly, a bunch of other stuff like um, Kafka and RabbitMQ and Cron Jobs and Elasticsearch. And I mean, I was really backendy when I started. Yeah. So you started like way on the back end. And I've heard you talk a little bit about this like middle end position <laughs> that you ended up in. So can you explain a little bit about what middle end was for you? Yeah. So I, it's sort of a joke name, right? Because the middle has no end. Yeah. It make any sense. Um, <laughs> but we have back end and front end. So what's between those two? Middle. Um, yeah. And so middle end, because you just add the end to the end of it, because that's not <laughs> Um, but middle end is basically the idea that you are dealing primarily with, um, API creation and consumption. So whatever, that seems like a very small scope of things. If you were to think about people who do full stack work and people who are in databases and DevOps and CSS and all those things, and I'm in all of those things. So it's a little bit of a misnomer, but sort of my bread and butter is in that, that middle space. And that middle space consists of API back and creation, um, API consumption, specifically in a, the last few places I've been GraphQL API contracts, mm -hmm. um, and all of the tooling around all of those things. So in that middle space is the code gen that gets you from the API to the front end types, for example, mm -hmm. but it's also ESLint and Babel and Webpack and all of those other things that make up really the back end of the front end or yeah. depending on how you're dealing with API signatures and stuff, the front end of the back end without actually being the front end. So that's well, why it's like, it needs a name. So I call it middle end. Yeah. In the Jamstack layer, we kind of call it that middle layer. So, I mean, it is, it's really like you're working around the tooling and stuff for that middle layer. I like that term. That's awesome. So you got into Gatsby and I know you worked on the image team at Gatsby would you like to talk a little bit about that? Your Gatsby comp was huge. <laughs> it's so funny to hear it called the image team um, because, yeah, <laughs> we did work on that for a really long time. That, not technically what our team was, but no, I like I always like hearing what the external perception is. So, like, this is very fun. Um, yeah, so I worked on that with my colleagues um, for many, many months. I still view it as one of the hardest things I've ever worked on. My goodness, if you want to break your brain, think about how different browsers make assumptions about the sizing and containers of images and just, ow. 
um, <laughs> takes a lot of like trying to think like a machine, which is always the hardest part of our job. Well, not always, rarely the hardest part of our job, but sometimes. Um, in this case, it definitely was. And yeah, so we we built a performance solution, which I sort of love because it feels like a lot of what we did has been the starting point for a bunch of other frameworks to do similar work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more we can be performant with images, the better it is um, for a number of reasons. Um, but one of the things that was really interesting about that project was like, we built the the plugin that dealt with images, but we had an old solution and the old solution was sort of performant, but with the changes to Lighthouse and other things it, it, and, you know, support of AVIF format and basically evolution of the web and specs, it wasn't as good as it could be. So it needed to be wholesale replaced. And there were some things fundamentally that we had to change about it. So we made a brand new package. Um, or a brand new Gatsby plugin. But in doing that, you had a bunch of people who needed to migrate. So I got the really fun task of building this very involved code mod um, that goes through, it's probably like, there are lots of advanced code mods in the world, but I've talked to a few people who are very well versed in this space. And they're like, no, yours touches more than most people's. (laughs) It changes the import, it changes the JSX, and it changes the GraphQL query all for you. And there's so many different iterations and edge cases that I was, I mean, I was working on this for well over a month. Um, How much did your mathematics background like come into that? I can see that like playing a part with images. Um, (laughs) Embarrassingly, it should have. And yet I was literally (laughs) sitting here writing on pen and paper, trying to do arithmetic, like a different (laughs) subtraction and trying to figure out why I kept doing things wrong. So uh, as I will say, mathematics and arithmetic are not the same thing. So people, so there, the joke is anytime you have a professor of math, they can't add. (laughs) And it's really true. Like we can just too basic. It's it's not that it's too basic. It's that it's a completely different skill set. Okay. I can sit there and explain to you uh, proof by induction, which is this really nonsense thing that says, if you can prove something's true for one, and you can prove that it's true for n plus one, or sorry, if you can prove that it's true for n and you can prove that it's true for n plus one, then it's true for all of the integers, right? Yeah. So literally this is the, the basis for recursion in case you want like a math to code <laughs> comparison, this is the basis for recursion. Um, but yeah, we're, we can't add, just, just subtract, <laughs> multiply, none of those things, not really good at it. My dad was a human calculator. He was an accounting major. So like, that that makes sense to me. Um, From from the Gatsby side, Lori, did you actually start working like in the Gatsby open source side before you started with Gatsby? Um, Yes, but actually doing docs. So I had contributed, funny enough, I contributed the original tutorial for dealing with the Gatsby image plugin before I worked at Gatsby, when I was just in the open source ecosystem because I had written this four page uh, four page, four part series on migrating my site from Jekyll to Gatsby. And the final part of that was like, what the heck are happening with images here? <laughs> like, how does this work? It took a long time for me to figure it out. So I had written that and then they had this, I think it was for Hacktoberfest or something else, but they were like, we need this doc. And I was like, well, it's sort of already in my blog post. Um, and also things that I did not understand about open source at that point, I like reformatted the blog post to be compatible with the form they wanted and like didn't change anything and sent it. 
And then Marcy Sutton, who uh, was, you know, running Ducks at the time, eventually becomes my boss, has like five bajillion edits because I didn't follow any of their rules. And I was like, shouldn't you just be happy I did this work for free? Like, oh boy. Knowing what I know now, it's sort of funny to look back and be like, oh, you were making so much work for them. (laughs) Why didn't you try? But I was just like, oh, I reformatted it. That was a lot of work. I had to figure out. I had been an engineer at that point for mm, seven-ish years, um, and I hadn't really done open source stuff. So it took me a long time to figure out, like, how to fork a project and how to run it and how to do all these things. And all these things that I take so for granted now because I literally worked in open source. um, But I think people forget how little, um, how, how unique some of those skills and tools are. And I think sometimes that's what frightens people off a little bit from open source. Sarah Drasner wrote this incredible post, uh, I want to say maybe a year ago now, um, that talks specifically about um, how to be a good open source contributor um, and, and doing some of your first open source contributions. And other people have done have done things that sort of dive into the tools and forking things and all that. But it's not, it's not easy. Um, and when you're diving into these really large, complicated code bases, not to mention like having the hardware to run some of these code bases. Some of these code bases are just like massive and take 30 minutes to build on, you know, the fastest of laptops. Yeah. Sarah Dresner is awesome. I was showing, I'm wearing her 9L shirt. Oh. <laughs> and he has the Gatsby hat on. I just noticed that too. I did notice that. Yeah. I, so. I looked for my Netflix one. I don't have one. Hook me up. Oh, we need some Netflix. I don't have a, I don't have a, um, Netflix either. I, I haven't seen a lot of the Netflix swag going mm. around like some of the other frameworks. Well, they're more like startups. Netflix doesn't feel like a startup to me. Yeah. So my sense is um, like there's, it's sort of like there's not a lot of Microsoft swag. There's not a lot of like Facebook swag unless you see them at a conference. Yeah. There's like Gatsby and Netlify and other places have like swag stores that you can buy things from. We have a, we have a Netflix swag store as employees. I think that's a little bit. Ah, so that transitions us a little bit back into the topic today. And so you recently moved from Gatsby to Netflix. So what drove that change for you? What made you want to get out of Gatsby and move to a different position? Ooh, loaded question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, you're fine. Um, I think the best way to describe it is um, so startups, there's sort of this joke in startups that like working there for a year is, is working there for like seven years. So I went through, I would say probably three, maybe four iterations of like Gatsby, the company, like just sort of whether it's, you know, the way the organization is structured or what we're focusing on or the personnel involved. That's just the nature of startups. Um, And at the time that I was looking to leave, I was like, you know, that's a lot of iterations and that's really Mm -hmm. tiring and exhausting. Um, And I, I loved many of my colleagues and, um, you know, enjoyed the challenges that I got to work on. But I was like, I I think I'm ready for something. um, Stability. Yeah, stability. But also, um, like, I've seen this company through a lot of phases. It felt like I've been there. I was there about a year and a half, I think. Um, in the end and in startup land, that's like a really long time. <laughs> it's a really long time. Um, so, so yeah, for me, it was just like, okay, it's, it's time to try 
to try something new. And I, I'd done the small companies. So in my career, I worked for federal government, which was huge and sort of gave me baggage around working for companies of any size. Um, and then my first company was like 60 people. And my second company was like 20 people. And Gatsby was 70 ish. I think it may have gotten higher than that by the end. Um, and I was like, okay, let's try something big that isn't the federal government. Let's, let's, okay. let's see how that goes. Um, so I talked to a lot of companies. I talked to Stripe. I talked to Shopify. I talked to Netflix. I talked to plenty of startups um, and sort of worked my way around to the realization that that wasn't where I wanted to go next. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to Microsoft. Um Talked to a lot of different places. And some of those were single conversations. Some of those were full interviews. Some of those were just tagging a friend and being like, hey, what do you think of this place? Um, and yeah, uh, in the, I, I probably explored um, through conversations or otherwise well over 20 companies. Okay, so that. just kind of feeling out what you needed personally and what other people thought of the places. Yeah. And then, so with that... Um, how did those conversations and those interviews feel to you? Were they like more code-based where you had to like sit down and work on problems? Mm-hmm. Were they just answering questions? Like what was the overall view of that? So the startups were definitely more conversational, um, which was interesting. There was sort of a clear divide between places that could do slightly ad hoc stuff and places that had processes to follow. Um do you find that was based on like size too? like their HR had a pretty like specific setup or was it kind of different across the board? It was different across the board. Okay. Um, so there were companies I talked to that had a full process and they were smaller. Um, but there, it also depended how I came to talk to them. Like there would be people who were in my, you know, Twitter DMs or LinkedIn and they would sort of like make a slightly different process. Um, mostly because those were people who were looking for me to do something in the DevRel space. Um, so that's worth mentioning. Places that wanted me to do more of the content side of things and the community piece rather than being a, a full-time coder. Um, for the larger companies, I was pretty much exclusively looking at, at individual contributor jobs um, because it's worth mentioning that when I started at Gatsby, I was more in that DevRel documentation space. And then I moved to being a individual contributor purely on the code side while I was there. So I had both of those experiences while I was at Gatsby. Um, So yeah, the, for the bigger companies, their processes were long. Um, Every single one of them involved coding at least once, if not multiple times. I, in some cases had a choice between doing in-person code rounds or take homes. Um, In many cases I didn't, I would never take a take home. Um, If I had a choice and there were, processes that I dropped out of because they wanted me to do take-homes because um, this is everyone gets to make their own decision and I don't love the way we do in-person technical interviews at all but I know that an in-person technical interview is roughly an hour of my time and I know that a take-home is not Um, and for me at that point where I have a full-time job I'm doing all the stuff that I do on my personal time and I'm trying to do all of these interviews my time was more valuable um, then the possibility of missing out on one specific role because there were t- too many out there. 
So what are some of those problems with the uh, in-person technical interview process? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've written about this a fair amount and everywhere I've gone, I've tried to uh, help to guide technical interviews that I think are more conducive Mm -hmm. to a good experience for everyone. So there's a few things that we get wrong. One is we come into interviews expecting specific answers and not people who don't give them. That doesn't make any sense. The goal of the interview should be to learn something you don't know rather than getting, you know, confirmation of things that you do. The other problem that we have is that we're really, really terrible at doing the upfront work. And there is a lot of work that this requires to figure out what we actually need from someone. Normally Mm -hmm. what happens is we say, okay, we have a team of four. We have too much work. We need a team of five. So we're just going to get someone who has all the same skills as everyone on the team, which is the exact wrong way to go about it. Because one, you probably want new skills um, because that'll make the other parts go faster. Um, And two, you don't want to be looking for someone who has the same, like you don't want the person sitting here to say, I need someone who has all of my experience because you're looking for someone who has all of your experience plus all the new experience you want them to get. And eventually you're going to make this stack of experience that is completely unreasonable to find in one person. Mm -hmm. Um, If you do that work up front, you can also do the leveling work up front and say, we'd be willing to accept anyone from here to here. And we're willing to make whatever investment based on that choice. Then you actually need to design an interview that tests for some of these things. And we don't do that. We steal some algorithm interview from somewhere else because we don't have the time. Because here's the problem. When you reach the point that you need to do recruiting, you are already in a crunch for needing someone. And then Mm -hmm. you know it's going to take a long period of time. So you'd rather grab the interview and move forward than build one up from scratch that matches what you're looking for. These are all understandable explanations. It's really, really hard to interview. At the same time, the consequences to both your candidates and your team are pretty dire Um, because we're really scared of false negatives. Everyone has this horror story of the person that they hired who had a PhD and couldn't write a forward loop, right? Like this is a real thing that people talk about. Um, We're so scared of false positives that we give ourselves a million false negatives, which from... The perspective of the resources you have available, the time you have available, the people who are interviewing is a terrible decision, but people are really, really scared of hiring the wrong fit. The problem is you're more likely to hire the wrong person because they played nice during the interview and they happened to be a jerk, right? And you couldn't pick up on that. Then you are to talk to someone about an extensive project that they worked on and understand all of their architecture and get them in front of an IDE and they don't know what a variable is, right? Like that's not really going to happen. We're just afraid that it is. And yes, there are exceptions to that rule and people have found this person or this person, but on the whole, there's exceptions to every rule. Like guarding against those exceptions is normally not worth it. Um, So yeah, you have to design all of these things. And so uh, I have... I have approaches that I like. I've done debugging interviews in the past where I have uh, something that's broken and I give you a project and it's a very, very small project. There's like a configuration file and a regular file and you figure out what's not showing up. And I say, this isn't showing up. Can you, can you figure it out? And I watched what they Google 
and I watch how they read through docs and I watch what questions they ask me. And like, I'm completely a part of the collaboration exercise. It's really interesting to see how they navigate through the unknown because they're not supposed to know how to solve the problem. Right. Yeah. Like, you can't know every answer to every problem. Right. Well, that sounds really great. In particular, this was um, an exercise that I gave to um, technical docs candidates at Gatsby. And I gave them a Gatsby site with like a single file and the MDX files weren't showing up. And it was because the plugin was missing from the config. And if you Googled Gatsby MDX, you looked at our docs, it had one, two, three, four, five steps that you needed to follow and people would check against the steps. And if they could find that doc, if they could find other docs that all sort of said, you have to configure this piece, the like first page of Google, any one of those should have answered the question, right? But it's, can you parse this sort of thing and find solutions. And this was super applicable to what their job was going to be because the job of writing technical docs is to be able to figure out stuff that hasn't been released yet, troubleshoot and find ways to give people instructions. So can you work from the instructions backwards? Mm -hmm. Um, We had, uh, there were support roles that we had and, you know, we walked them through like, how would you write an email if this was the scenario? Or if they came with this information, what follow-up questions would you ask to find where their problem actually was? Cause they're, they, they don't know, right? Like you're, you're supposed to dive into that. So tailoring the interview to the job is super important. And in most cases, can you write a recursive algorithm is not the job, right? Yeah. Sometimes it is. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't do that, but like, why are we giving the same interview to distributed systems people that we're giving to your uh, front end developer? Like, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Um, so we're literally, we're, I'm on a group of, my team is, uh, about to interview for an API role um, at Netflix. And we're currently in the process of designing that interview. And it's great to reach to other teams in the company and say, hey, what's your interview look like? What's your interview look like? And learn from all of that. And if there's a perfect one, we're like, this is exactly the signal we're looking for. This is exactly the thing we're asking for. We can pull that over. But for the most part, we know what we're looking for ahead of time instead of just grabbing what's available. I like that title, Designing the Technical Interview. Maybe you need to do an egghead course on that. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, Talk about the, you know, I tweeted about all sorts of things and I get a lot of, a lot of um, people who are unhappy with me, but every time I talk about tech. You can't. Oh my gosh. I get people being like, well, this won't work. And let me tell you about all of the people I've hired that are terrible. And I'm like, that seems like a you problem. Thanks, Twitter bro. <laughs> that just seems like a you problem. Uh, <laughs> and I think some of that is we don't train people to be interviewers. And it's a very different skill than being a practitioner. Yeah. Um, and so people come with terrible assumptions. Like someone can say, well, I know if they answer a question like this, that um, they're, they can't handle the pressure or whatever. And they're making like psychological assessments on people. I'm like, you are not qualified to do that. Like, You're not a psychologist. Are, right, like you don't know what you're talking about, what is wrong with you, but they're talking about how they would react in that situation. And I was like, uh-uh, no. And then conversely, you have people who are like, well, if they don't understand event listeners, then they have no business building React code. I'm like, there's, 
there's a shim. There's a level of abstraction to that in the React framework just because you learned 10 years ago and you started with this knowledge and translated it into this doesn't mean that they need to. Because I think what people don't understand is that it's actually harder to unlearn something than it is to learn something. So if you're trying to understand the his, if you're asking people essentially historical questions at this point, like, I'm sorry, if you have some of this keyword gotcha question in JavaScript, what are you doing? Yeah. Are you hiring someone in, you know, 2012? No, you're hiring someone in 2021. So match the questions to the current applicable standards. And if you need someone who's going to be writing Webpack, right? Or you need someone who's going to be um, doing other lower level things, those are different questions. But if you are hiring someone who is going to be a practitioner, who is going to leverage frameworks, who is going to leverage all, ask the in those frameworks not about what builds the pattern in the frameworks oh you said too like being on the cutting edge things that aren't even released yet if they're going to be building things for the future you're not going to be asking them things from the past yeah (laughs) i often like look for diggers too like if if you don't know it but you know the person will just keep digging and like learning and and will figure it out that's the person i want not the person that has all the answers now because they're not willing to go out and search for it also, memorization is a relic. So, like, yep. stop asking people about it. Unfortunately. <laughs> okay. I work. So, one of the things I do is I work with TC39 on what's called the Educators Committee, which is um, our goal is to write about some of the upcoming proposals so that people who are less well versed in, you know, the spec land can comment. Um, and say like, oh, my use case or whatever, basically like get them involved and let people know what's coming. That's all well and good. Um, But if you're asking me questions and I don't mean to pretend that I know everything, I really don't. But if you're asking me questions about trivia related to syntax and I can't answer it, I literally write about it. That is a terrible question. Like what? I don't know what we're doing sometimes. I really don't. <laughs> I, I, think, I, like I think we're all trying to uh, find the best ways. And often there's not like the perfect answer to any of this. And sometimes it's not a good fit for either of you either. Like it, it's tough. Like you need to figure out what you want, what the company wants and like have a good relationship there. So Interviewing is a two-way street. Companies that don't recognize that, especially with experienced people, are in for a world of hurt. Um, And yeah, I think the one thing we need to recognize is if you want to do interviewing well, it is a serious investment of time across your team and your managers. And you need to accept that. Or you don't need to accept that. And you're going to have you know, a whisper network of people say, eh, even if it's great to work there, do you really want to go through the interview process? I know of a few companies right now that everyone would say amazing place to work. And every single person I know will not apply there because they don't want to go through the interview process. Yeah. That's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Yeah. I've been through some of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really, really rough. And I mean, The other thing is everyone is designing their interviews in a vacuum and thinking, oh, well, we need all of this signal. So we're going to make it 20 rounds. And I'm like, okay, but they're, if they're like, if if they're super 
awesome commodity that you really want to work for you. They're going through five different interviews, all of which are at least 10 rounds at the same time. Oh, and it's uh -uh. a lot of time. I mean, 10 is 10 is probably an exaggeration, but I think the average I came across was at least six. Whew. I found doing like three interviews for three larger companies that had multiple rounds was just exhausting. It was so taxing by the last one. I was like, I just don't even care if you give me this job anymore. I'm so over it. I literally tanked an interview because I was so tired yeah. having been interviewing. It's it's stressful for sure. I know a lot of people, they don't even like they're offered, you know, probably 50,000 more and they just don't want to go through it because it's so painful. So. Yeah. I think there's something there that we need to figure out and, and learn across all of tech. So hopefully we can uh, continue breaking that down a little further. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? I think yeah. I, I picked something and I'm totally struggling to find it. Um, but there's there's this new place where you can kind of like do all these tests and have all of these kind of pre-done things so that when people go looking for someone, that side of it's all done. And then oh. you can just kind of do the like personal was side of gun, it. Gun.io? Was that what it was? I, I know it was like a couple podcasts ago. I can't find it. I think it was the remote thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was gun.io. Yep. Absolutely, you're right. So I, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. If we can like put all your technical skills and put all those initial things, maybe you can skip three interviews and we can get to the real stuff. I was talking to someone about that the other day. Um, because it's definitely something that's, you know, battered around, like the common app for tech applications, basically. The problem is that even for a singular person, like even for me, all of the places I was applying in all the different roles, they were all looking for a slightly different technical signal. Um, yeah. It becomes really, really hard to have something that's going to work across all of that, unless you're building like a giant app that's going to take you weeks. Right. Are they looking for like one specific skill set or like in those in-person technical interviews, are they looking for you to like finish an algorithmic problem or were they more willing to like see how you work? Varies. Does that make sense? It varies. Yeah, I've had like two sets. So one you code and they have like built-in tests and all the tests have to be successful and yeah. like that's good. And then the second one, like you sit down with someone from the company that they just want to hear you talk through the solution, even if you don't get to the end of it, they just want to, and I know Lori already kind of spoke on that too. Like they just want to hear your mental process working through it. So, yeah. so hilariously, I was in an interview of the second type or told it was an interview of the second type. <laughs> um, and then they, they turned me down and I, I know people. Um, so they were able to look at what happened. I was like, I thought it went pretty well. I thought like, and I was getting hit on really tiny syntax things and like yep. didn't solve this the yeah. way I would have solved it. And I was like, then present that that is what your criteria is because yep. yeah, based on what you said, what? Like, <laughs> and, and it's, uh, it's totally yeah. frustrating. It's all frustrating. Like it's all opaque and, and the pro so the one thing I will say on the interviewer side of the puzzle is candidates, and I've been one of those candidates, we often get frustrated. We're like, can you tell us what the interview, like what we should prepare for? Because it'll make us less anxious. And can you tell us what what you're testing us on, more or less? Like what kind of signal? Because then yeah. we will adapt to that. Um, 
And I think what's challenging on the side of the interviewer is sometimes we actually don't know the answer to that because it's a sum of parts thing. So we're saying, if you don't have these three things, but you do have these three things, then that might be okay with us. But we're going to get that through a, a bunch of different, so it's like, we get this signal and this signal and this signal, and all together is that a person we think can add value to the team, rather than we need this expert in this technology to be able to ramp up. And that's, I actually think as you get more towards the, how can we augment our team mentality, it gets harder to be extremely explicit about, we expect these three skills. And that's a good thing because it means more people can fit the mold, but it gets harder to tell them what you're looking for. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I guess we're kind of coming up in time and I just want to leave it with some suggestions, I guess. Um, for me, I would take in like, if you're interviewing at like AWS or Google, there's pages and pages of like, study this, look at this, like learn those things. And then also go out to like Glassdoor and like see what the reviews are, even though like there's a lot of hate that kind of comes out <laughs> of people after they've switched jobs and things. But, you know, take it for what it's worth and, and read through that stuff. But just make sure like if you can find someone that is in the company that would be willing to talk to you as well in a similar position, try to reach out to them on LinkedIn or Twitter and say, hey, would you mind 15 minutes of my time or your time so we can chat? Uh, I'm really interested in this job and kind of approach it that way. Um, Lori, Brittany, do you have anything additional like you would do going into an interview? Um, ask them. So not enough people do that whether it's the recruiter or the manager, whatever contact you have, say, hey, can you give me a sense of what to expect in these rounds? They'll normally tell you something. They'll tell you yeah. some, often they will tell you something because you asked that they wouldn't have told you just by default. Yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah, Expect level your expectations. Like find out what you're going to have to do. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, Thank it'll you. take a lot of stress out of it. Yeah. Cool. Now we're uh, going to do some perfect picks. I wanted to throw on uh, a quick like site. Or... <laughs> so Lori's page has kind of all of her contact. We'll have it on our blog page, but definitely if you need to find Lori, it's lauriontech.com. You can check out all of her speaking and lessons and podcasts. And you have so much content. I can't even list it all. But Who did your um, little SVG head? Oh, oh um, yeah. that was, um, uh, oh my gosh, he's going to be so mad at me right now. Uh, hold on. You, you gotta let me grab that name because literally it's on the tip of my tongue. David Neal, David Neal. I'm pretty sure it's David Neal. Nice. That's sweet. Uh, yes. It's David Neal. Reverend. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, I know. Reverend Geek on Twitter. I'm like, I know, I know his name. I can see his face. Um, I've met him multiple times and I was like, couldn't come up with it so yeah we'll, we'll grab his uh twitter i'll put it in our links after yes it's amazing cool. oh also wait you gotta scroll down scroll oh down. okay click on the building lego sets in the oh uh here it's my hidden <laughs> page and you can see all the stuff i built oh my goodness oh my goodness i haven't seen the women of nasa one i love so that. that one's hidden this is literally on my desk right here that's fun they're so <laughs> awesome so I don't have the patience. Set. That's I amazing. Have, I have sets behind me that I have to build. So. I love the roller coaster. That's I want cool. my kids to have the patience to do things like that, but we get the sets and then they just lose like which ones go to which set yeah. and <laughs> they would never stay together. Yeah, this is the wonder of being an adult. 
<laughs> okay, uh, into our perfect picks. Lori, you have the first one. Okay, so um, Code Girls is the book that I'm almost finished with. I've literally been in the act of reading this for like a year because I'm terrible at reading when I'm busy. Um, but it's fantastic. It's the um, story of female code breakers in World War II. Um, and they, they do a little bit before World War II as well. And it's really, really interesting, um, really fun. They both like teach you a little bit about what code breaking actually is. And they talk to you about these stories of women who um, didn't have those opportunities before the war and with the men shipping out, they did and sort of what their lives were like and what DC was like as the t at the time. When I started reading it, they were describing a uh, this place called Arlington Hall, which was at the time literally two blocks behind the backyard I was reading it in. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, that it's really me. fun. It, it's fun for me because there's a lot of like stuff around here that's mentioned in the book. But in general, it's, it's a great read and, and a really interesting thing to learn about. Yeah, it's very sweet. Uh, your second one. Oh, yeah. So this is uh, Cassidy Williams' fault, in case anyone is wondering. Um, so I was going to say that, too. <laughs> yeah. So this is Drop. Uh, this is where you can spend way too much money on mechanical keyboards. I have one in front of me. There are pictures of it um, on, I think, on my site or on Twitter somewhere. But it's um, it's the Drop Alt keyboard. It's like a pink and blue custom keycaps and... <sighs> You can program it to fun LEDs and have like many layers that you can switch between so that multiple keys can do multiple things. Those um, astrologers. There's Cassidy. Yeah, Cassidy and um, Sailor HG did those. So very fun. And if you refer people, if we can put the link, we should use my referral code because every time people buy things, I get more credit. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> sounds yeah, like a fun sounds like I'm like being paid to advertise this but no this is just the program that they have so like anyone who buys anything if you share anything um, nice some free money I don't know if I could handle this fidget spinner I wouldn't get anything done um also if you're really into mechanical keyboards uh Kim Maida has made a bunch of really cool custom artisan keycaps out of resin. So nice. Kim awesome. just got a new car. I'm jealous. Kim got a Tesla, but I think she, I thought I saw a picture where she has like a, a nail in her tire or something. Yeah. Screw or something. Not fun. Bummer. So yeah, those are my perfect picks. Sweet. Brittany, you're up next. Yeah, my first one is going to be Polywork, which is a new social network that they explain to me as being kind of LinkedIn meets Twitter without the high school popularity contest. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that it has these tags where we can tag our stuff and um, say what you're doing, collaborate with people that are doing the same things as you, search for people doing similar stuff. So it's a really cool idea. I'm hoping it takes off. They have a login system now, which made it way better. And hopefully we get an Android app soon so I can use that. <laughs> oh, you nice. know what I need them to add? Um, I was talking to Cassie actually about this the other day. I need them to add the ability for me to either batch or turn off notifications. I get an email every time someone follows me. Oh, yep. Yeah. yeah and it's bad. Twitter linked now. So I think a bunch of people who come over from Twitter are seeing following me from Twitter. It's uh, uh, so it's just a yeah, I, I need to make a filter. I went on vacation uh, for a week and over 400 of my emails, I think were Polywork following. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's there needs intense. to be a filter for that. 
it's coming. So that's the one thing that everyone should know. Polywork is fantastic. Love yeah. the perfect pick. Um, but it is literally a work in progress. So every week they're releasing new features. Yes. So just sort of like have that in the back of your mind for Oops. expectations. Then. I guess that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> it took you to years when you took it off. Oh, that's annoying. Anyways. There's not like a homepage, I don't think, is there? I think if I do it oh, in a incognito tab, it would. But anyways, check it out. I think I think we perfect picked it once before too. So um Brittany, your second pick. Yeah, my second pick is a book that I've been reading called Develop Her, the Develop Her Playbook. And it's really geared towards women, but it's for anyone in the technical industry, I think. And there's like five steps to develop yourself in tech and how to get into tech, how to present yourself in a better way. So just an overview of the steps are like take opportunities when they're presented and have a positive attitude towards work, build your network by attending and doing things you wouldn't normally do, never stop learning and building skills and be willing to pivot, invest in yourself and avoid burnout by doing things that like contribute to your long-term well-being. So like that's kind of an overview of the book, but it really goes in depth and like tells you kind of how to do some of those things. And it's been really good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and for those on audio, it's a little hard to hear, but Brittany's saying develop and then H-E-R. Her. <laughs> develop her. Yes. Cool. Uh, my pick is, and I'm going to totally screw this up, but I think it's Tari. So that sounds right. T-A-U-R-I dot studio. And if you've ever used Electron to build desktop apps, that's essentially what this is. Um, it's kind of early on still, so they... They released the alpha, and I believe they just released 1.0 for the beta. And I'm hoping it goes full-time, but there's a lot of cool features in here, including like this one I'm excited about. There's Dino yeah. or Deno, uh, again, names, uh, <laughs> to build your to build your backend as well coming. So there's a lot of cool things coming out in it, and it seems so far, I've only messed with it for like a day, it seems super fast. So I'm excited about that part too. Very cool. So check that out if you're looking for an alternative to Electra. I call it Deno, by the way. <laughs> I think there's always that awesome debate of all these names. My my LifeX lights, we always call LifeX, all that stuff. It's like, oh. One of the best things I've ever heard is that if you ever mock someone for not knowing how to say something or like because they say it differently, you're an asshole. Um, <laughs> but you're mostly an asshole because they learned it by reading, which meant they yeah. learned it themselves and you were taught it by someone else. So you're weird. Yeah, exactly. Like, tell me the person who invented this, how they want to say it. And then I'll no, know. no, don't do that because certain <laughs> creators are wrong. A certain GIF. Yeah, I wrong. knew that was coming. <laughs> so, actually, I think someone, oh, God, there was something the other week where someone asked, how do you pronounce this? And they're like, we should just tag the creator and have them chime in. And I'm like, no, creators can be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Lori. Thank you for that tidbit out the, out the at the end there. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. We'll have to have you on again to hear kind of, uh, you're only like, what, three, four months into Netflix. We'll have to hear your full yeah. story. Absolutely. Happy to. That'll be sweet. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Brittany, you. for uh, doing the, the key up. I think that was your first time. We'll have to do that. Have you do the intro from now on. Brittany's in charge. Brittany's taking over. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you both so much. All right. See ya.